Welcome to the Mind Body Business Podcast. Have you ever considered your superpower? If you had one gift to leave with humanity, what would that be? We believe that everyone possesses a superpower. This is your value proposition, your je ne sais quoi to help make a tangible difference in the world. Each week, our show explores these superpowers with tantalizing thought seeds germinating only from the power of collective thought. We invite you to join us for one hour each week and listen in as we dispense superpower knowledge from great people doing greater things. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Mind Body Business Podcast. I'm Devo, and I am in a different city today than my co-host Lisa. Lisa's on the other side, on the other line, and we are joined by E.A. Sokovitz. And we met him through some fellow podcasters, and thought he had a fantastic story. So we thought we would bring him on and just sort of interview him about all the dead bodies that he has on his property. And <laughs> And more importantly, he, he has launched, so this guy's got a pretty interesting bio. He's, he's a Midwestern dude, uh, lives in Michigan now. He became a millionaire at age 23. He's the son of a milkman. I haven't heard that terminology in a while. When was the last time milkmen were even around? Um, he's going to talk a little bit about the Givers University, which is a benevolent organization that he has launched. And I, I'd like to learn more about that to hear what that is. But um, the centerpiece of our conversation today is going to focus on why it's important to surround yourself with quality individuals. And so Lisa and I actually had this planned as a podcast of our own. But then when we came across EA and his Givers University, we thought we'd bring him in on that conversation and uh, see what value we can all add together. Because the more people we bring together in one room, the more value we add. It compounds, right? So welcome, Lisa. Welcome, EA. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on your great show. So I, I need to hear a little bit more about the Givers University. So tell us, if you man, just your 30-second pitch on what the Givers University is and, and what value that offers to the universe. Well, I don't know of anything I can do in 30 seconds. No, I'm just kidding. So the, uh, the <laughs> it actually came about because of my... Uh, uh, which is two interesting side stories. But, uh, you know, first of uh, my... Uh, meeting a lady who had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. And I found out that uh, there was value in having a mentor, even though I didn't know what it was at that point. Then subsequently meeting my mentor, uh, making a vow and a commitment to him at the ripe old age of 19 years old, that uh, everything he would teach me, I would share it and teach it with others. So I'm uh, 65 years old, uh, 65 years young uh, today. So, uh, uh, you know, I just, uh, after from 19 years old to today, basically it was the evolution of Givers University, uh, bringing forth not only everything my mentor taught me, but then also I had a live radio talk show and I interviewed 1,000 millionaires in two years. And all of that information together is condensed into uh, what we know now is manifested as Givers University. So first of all, happy birthday, and thank you for honoring us uh, with the podcast on your birthday. That's fantastic. So yeah. for 46 years, if I did my math right, 46 years you've been entrenched in a program, working, um, pledging your soul to a mentor, and interviewing millionaires. What is the one common piece of information you've taken away from all those 1,000 millionaires? Um. Uh, I want to clarify today. Actually, I am 65 today, but it's not my birthday. But but let's celebrate it anyway. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I just, you know, so I just, yeah, so I'm for it, of course. You know, I'm, let's do it. You know, where's the cake? And uh, and uh, so uh, and then uh, separately from that, I wish I could say there was one thing. There's common threads and multiple common threads. If you'd like, I can touch on a few of those because they are interesting. Um, because the most interesting part of all those interviews was the questions I had pre-figured out, I wanted to ask them before and after we were on the air uh, for my own information, looking for, as you just asked, Devo, which is a great question, what were the common denominators? You know, what, what's the same about all these thousand people are millionaires and why still do most people not make that simple plateau, if you will, of income? And uh, do you want me to touch on just one or two of the little threads I, I, I did find out? 
Yeah, I would love to hear him because okay. um, we're, we're all about the common threads. Gotcha. And I, I think too, though, we all have this, oh, okay, there's just one easy way to do it. What's the one thing that I need to do and, and you know, take a ride on easy street. So I like that you said it's not just one thing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, there's they all had similar categories of stories, yet the stories themselves were unique. Um, one of the things that was interesting that all of them, not some of them, not a few of them, all of them had a time in their life when everything told them to stop, throw in the towel, their business associates, their friends, everyone that was surrounded around them, the economy, political arena and environment, um, the, the business itself, they all, all of them had this time where everything told them, screaming at them, throw in the towel, stop now. And what's interesting is that as I would ask them about their stories, because it was to me that was very interesting and intriguing, because I wanted to learn by you know that those events with them, was that they the next thing that happened, they all many of them even said the following next phrase, and it was sort of weird. They didn't know each other, different industries, different backgrounds, but the 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 thematically con, thematic content of what they said next was very eerily similar. They all said, "Do you know, I actually took the next step." to see if there was anything else that could go wrong. I mean, did I possibly miss anything? Because I think I hit them all. <laughs> and they all sort of had that, they, could, they told me that almost the same words in many instances. And I found that astonishing that, you know, they, they, like, they, felt, like, they felt like all hope was lost and there was nothing left. And, you know, everything's telling them to stop and throw a towel. And they did take that next step. Some of them out of nothing more than morbid curiosity. You know, what else could happen wrong, right? And then they said, when they did that, a very unusual, almost mystically weird thing happened. Things started to come together on their own. And some of them even said, in spite of what I was doing, things started to come together. It was almost like temporary defeat said, this guy or gal doesn't know when to throw in the towel. I'm going to go and screw up someone else's life. I'm leaving theirs. I'm giving up, right? And they said and things started coming together and connecting in spite of what they were doing or where they were at almost effortlessly. And that led them into their up to ultimate successes. And I, I found that was very interesting. And that backed up something my business mentor had drilled into me. And he said the following, every, not some, every adversity in life carries with it the seed of equal or greater benefits. Now, equal or greater benefits. Now, that's interesting. If we paused on that for a moment, that means as leaders and business owners, we have to have the ability to set aside the leaves when temporary defeat hits us. Look for those seeds that are there. And by the way, they are always there, not sometimes. Those seeds of, of, of uh, benefit and extra benefit or greater benefit are always there. But we got to move aside the leaves. When we see them, we realize... That was exactly what I needed. That was the thing I needed. And because of that, now I can go up the next step of prosperity. So he drilled in me these things that these literally thousand plus millionaires all subsequently edified for me that what he was saying was accurate. And I can share with you in my life, the same thing took place, you know, and, and, he, and my mentor said, get rid of the F-bomb. And that wasn't the first, you know, the first thought in my mind. I don't know if that was the first thought in your mind, but it wasn't that F-bomb. He said, get rid of failure. He said, don't say it. Don't use the word. Don't put it in your vernacular. It's too eternal sounding. Supplant that word with the word temporary defeat. He says, now you're reframing it in a different standpoint and you're not making it eternal. He said, you're going to be tackled. He's explaining to me. This is Sam Robbins, my mentor. He said, you're going to be tackled a thousand times in your lifetime. He said, but when you stand up, you're going to realize you got a first down. You're still in the game. When you say failure, you're throwing yourself out of the game. Don't throw yourself out of the game. Stay in the game. So one of the threads was our ability. And the next thing I can share with you, Devo and Lisa, when I say this, it will bake the noodles of half of your listeners because they're going to think this guy EA is off his rocker. But before you share that, we have to go back for our non-sporty fans to reference that analogy. I mean, that's a football reference, Lisa, not cricket. 
just so you know. Uh, okay, he, thank he you. was dropping football knowledge, first okay. down, right. getting tackled. Uh huh. Uh huh. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I was that. dropping. That was the four one one on the big uh, f ball there. That's what that was. Four one one on the f ball. So, okay. uh, yeah. And, and thanks for that clarification, by the way. You know, that's right because it doesn't work for cricket. I never thought of that. And uh, but when I tell a joke, I do hear crickets a lot, and that's a whole different issue. So the uh, so I want to reference as my mentor had drilled home this thing to me and what I'm about ready to reference to your listeners. Cause this, when you first hear it, you go, man, this guy is crazy. But when you give pause to it and you think on it and ponder it, it begins to make sense, especially the more you think about it. When we really understand the role of temporary defeat in our lives, when we really begin to supplant education for wisdom. And I can share with you in my life, I've met a lot of educated idiots, you know, all the book knowledge, spew it all back at you. No implementation and execution skills whatsoever. Absolutely. They just, they just read the book. Right. So I call them educated idiots and I, you know, meet them every day. Right. We're, we're raising a generation of educated idiots now. That is factual. But it's factual. That is factual. Yeah. The public the public school education system is not designed to create critical thinkers. It's designed to create robots now. Would you agree with that? A, a thousand percent. I was a victim of public schooling. And uh, because of that, uh, my wife and I chose to homeschool all three of our children all the way from the beginning, all the way through graduation and high school for the very same reason you just said. I was actually homeschooled until sixth grade. I'm one of 12. Whoa. And yeah, and so there's a there's a, a a lineage correlation there. All of the oldest ones went to. So my two oldest sisters were actually homeschooled all the way up until college, mm. and then because my parents had a declining marriage, there's a direct correlation between the amount of schooling we had and and the the subject of failure of my parents' marriage because. As the, as as the youngest ones went um, went to school early in uh, I guess middle school was the elementary and middle school so yeah interesting is right see I, I didn't have that problem at all I was public schooled but I was in Canada and we don't have those problems with education in Canada we pay a lot of taxes up there yeah you I'm do joking. and and, uh, and plus there's only and there's only like ten people in the whole country so I, like, know. You know, I know I know it's like, like one on one ratio it, it, right it, there. It basically it's like one on one schooling right yeah. I mean that's yeah. crazy that's <laughs> You know, not to get off topic, Lisa, but that's an interesting point. I, I would love to see a study on the correlation on given the current state of affairs, and I'm not going COVID, but in the current state of affairs and showing the tyranny that is going across multiple countries around the world right now, the direct correlation between the type of education, the amount of education, and the amount of tyranny that's being implemented upon a society right now. There's an interesting study there that's waiting to be untold, if you don't ask me. Okay, that's I, another podcast. <laughs> well, and I, I agree with you, Devo. And also, I would add on to that study, the huge literal explosion in homeschooling as a direct result of that study. Absolutely. And that's happening here now, especially in the in the southern. We, we're in the south of America. Yeah. I'm in Charlotte, halftime. Lisa's in Hilton Head. But oh, there's, awesome. a direct, there's a direct correlation in that. You can see the numbers just exploding in my community alone of people who have taken their children out of school. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's not education, it's indoctrination now. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so uh, back to the point. Yes. And that was, how do we set all your listeners and uh, set them on their, on the side when they, cause they're going to hear this and they're going, oh, this guy's crazy. That is when we really begin to understand the role of temporary defeat, we reframe it in our minds and we realize that it's not a bad thing. It's up to us again. We have to move aside those leaves. We have to find those seeds of equivalent or greater benefit. Now, it's interesting, equivalent or greater benefit than the defeat, the temporary defeat. So what happens is that once we begin to really understand what happens is we now no longer fear temporary defeat, but we actually... And here it comes. Welcome it and embrace it. Yeah. Because when we welcome it and embrace it, we're not coming from that place of fear that most people are coming from. Uh, and, you know, the fear mongering that we're getting fed by the media and everything today, keeping people in a place of fear in order to control them is very clear and evident everywhere. There's no it's inarguable, in my opinion, uh, you know, that, they, you know, that fear is being used and, and fear 
also manages, unfortunately, too many lives. And when we realize that temporary defeat plays a great blessing role in our life and gives us the things we need, we can get through those temporary defeats faster, build on them faster. And as my mentor said, he said, you'll be running up the stairs of prosperity while other people are locked on other stairs because they're afraid of failing. Because they're all saying, what's going to happen when someone sees me fail? Or what's everyone going to think? And I'm afraid of the failure. He said, you're not coming from that place anymore. You're looking for those seeds on an ongoing basis. You're germinating them. You're helping them grow. And you're running up those stairs faster. And I can share with you, that is an absolute in life that you know when someone has the giver's mindset and the giver's lifestyle, they are able to get through those temporary defeats because they've reframed them in their mind. I love the idea around that. It's just sort of the pol the polarization, sort of the yin and the yang. And I think we've been conditioned to only have success, especially in the Western world. Uh, the, the whole ideation around failure has always been perceived as something that's a negative aspect of humanity as opposed to embracing it so that we can learn those lessons from it and grow. So it's interesting. I, I was listening to a podcast this morning and I forget the name of the author of it, but he was doing a piece on Nietzsche. Nietzsche, I always mess up how you say that, but Nietzsche. And he was talking about the human animal and the domesticated and the strong and how humans at this point in recorded history feel like we're at the pinnacle of achievement and we are the most advanced species on the planet because we've been able to build things, create things, invent things, etc. And so we think that we're superior among all other creatures. And, and, and the problem with that is what, and he was... Uh, quoting Nietzsche is that because we have become so dominant and based upon a culturized experience of creating things uh, around success that we have forgotten our animal instincts and how to actually survive, whether it be in the wild or, or in touch with our emotions around failure. And, and it's because of that reason alone that people have been so easily swayed during this time that we're, that we're sitting in right now. So it's a, I'm going to send it to you afterwards because I think you'd find it a fantastic podcast. Um, I don't know if you ever listened to Nietzsche, but he's one of my favorite philosophers of all time. Uh, and it sounds very thought provoking. Can yeah. Can I ask you a question about this? Like, I, I understand that that you're you're changing the the way that we deal with fear or the the mindset around it, and then you're saying that all of this this substance, all of this learning, is all education that's kind of building a foundation for us to succeed. It's it's like a, a whole educational system that we're building, so that as we do um, have other, um, things come into our lives. We're more readily able to, to deal with them and accept it and learn and grow and, and build on that. But how do we know, how do we know when we should either change direction or when what we're doing is not working? Like if we're getting failure after failure after failure, like, do we keep moving ahead with that? Where do we pivot? Where do we, where do we find the gusto to, to change our direction or or keep plotting on? Like, how do we know? Uh, thank you for that question. And I want to say, first of all, Lisa, you have an awesome radio voice. You oh, have like- I'm sick. That's well, well, I got to tell you, it works. It totally works. See, now you got a voice for radio. I have a face for radio. That's totally different. <laughs> but but uh, you, you, it sounds good. It's working. It's working. Anyway, so uh, the, what's interesting is that it, that's why I'm such a strong advocate for having a mentor. That's what's so critical. I was very blessed at an early age. I met my mentor when, you know, when I was in my teens and uh, he impacted, he became like the father I never had, even though I had a father and I was like the son he never had, even though he had a son. And he's the one that I made the commitment to at 19 years old and that he would teach me. He was a multimillionaire, very prosperous. He had the things, you know, that I felt I wanted. And so by having a guiding hand in my world, if someone doesn't have a mentor, we call them or we would mention that they are naive because they're not learning and they don't have an important guiding hand in their life. And this is critical. That has already done it. That's so important. There are so many, again, digressing educated idiots. I'm a coach. I can do this. I'm that. You know, and they're not. They're not. All they are is they read a book or they attended a class on how to sell a coaching course. And they're not a coach. They haven't done it. You know, if you want to earn a million dollars, who do you talk to? Someone that's made a million dollars. Don't talk to anyone else. Otherwise, you know, there's so many people who can teach you how to earn a million, but they're making the million off of teaching you. <laughs> it's not because they've already done it, right? So think about the things in your life that you want to do 
and then find those who have already done what you want to accomplish and then ask them. I only have one superpower and I have to say this is a superpower. I have and did maybe because I was a son of a milkman. I don't know. But either way, I always had the ability to say, you know, I don't know. Could you teach me that? I'd love to learn that. Mm. We're in a world today where everyone wants to be preeminent and everyone wants to, you know, my branding is that I'm the best at what I do. And, yeah. and, and I think I personally, I think that's backwards. I think there's so much more power in the ability. And I learned and I become a sponge from people who are so much smarter than me and have so many more skills in other areas. And I just fire questions at, how about this? How about that? How about that? And I want to learn. So my only ability has always been said, the, the ability to say, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'd love to learn that. Could you teach me that? So, but you didn't answer Lisa's question. So I want to go back to that. How do you, how does, and I, I, everything you said was fantastic. How do you know when you said 1,000 millionaires that you had interviewed, one of the underlying threads was that they knew when to stop and start over. How do you know, how did they know when after multiple attempts at, whether it's in your business or your marriage or anything that you continually fail at, how do you finally know when that stop gap is and you should stop, start over? How, how, how does one recognize that and be self-aware around it? I apologize for not directly answering the question. I think I only inferred it by reference. Simply put, you don't know the time. The answer is when you have a mentor on the outside who has already done it, they can look and see and say, oh, by the way, this is a temporary defeat. Here's what's happening here. Look at it from this perspective. So you need to have that mentor who can identify that event when it's happening for you. Because I got news for you. When you're in the middle of it, all you see is the eye of a hurricane and everywhere you're looking around is wind swirling and none of it is visible or makes clear. There's no clarity. It's all a blur swirling around you to have someone who has done it, have the mentor who can identify that for you. You won't be able to identify it. There isn't a place it's happening too much when it's hot and heavy and you're on the seat. You're, I mean, your emotions are all, I mean, all the things all compact together and combine and crash. So you need an outside force that has done it, that's been through it, that has been through that event and can help walk you through it. So yeah, let's just, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I just wanted to ask you a question. I think it's really, it's amazing to me that at that young age, you had the humility to be open to that. Because I think a lot of that humbleness sometimes comes as you get older and you're just like, you know, I'm not trying to prove anything or I don't care as much about, about that. And I'm, I'm more open to having those conversations. But I think at that young age, you feel like you're invincible and you can take on the world. So I think that's really impressive in the first place. But, but how did you like, is it, is it just being open to being a connector with people that that's how you fell in line with being open to finding this right, this correct mentor that fit for you? Are you saying just to surround yourself with those people that kind of ignite your passion that you're interested in and that you can learn from and then that kind of opens up who, who you can connect with as a mentor. Because like you said, everyone is a coach now and you finish a program with them and you're like, I don't think, I don't think anything was accomplished. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I heard all this great verbiage, but uh, now what do I do with that? <laughs> you know, I mean, you're hanging out and, and that sort of brings us to Givers University because one of the things we do that is so, I think granular in our approach compared to so many things that are out there um, to help people identify those events in their life. And these are skill sets. These are things that are taught. So, you know, I thought, okay, well, how do I put all this together over years, if you will, that my mentor and these thousand millionaires, and that became a course called Give to Be Great. It's actually three courses. The name of the series is called Give to Be Great. And, and, and through that, to identify what we do at Givers University, because I think it's germane to the point you just made and the question you just made, um, that part of this important part of having a mentor is also having that right person around us. A mentor is one of those right people, right? And uh, it was like a podcast I did a few days ago. And uh, the guy says, wow, this is all great stuff. You know, I, I just read a book that says I need to have five good people around me. And I said, you're absolutely right. You need five. Question for you, which five? And all of a sudden he stared at me with this blank look. I said, do you see my point? No one's teaching that. We are genuinely the only ones teaching a skill set 
that's not being taught anywhere else that I've seen. And it goes as follows. And again, I'm expanding on the answer to your question, Lisa, on you know, how, how, whether it's connecting or and all these things that take place. First of all, I say emphatically to all your listeners, we love everybody. I say it again, we love everybody. But what we teach is how to separate the person who we love from their deeds, which we may not love. And we teach people to look for certain, by virtue of teaching them checklists, actual checklists, look for these actual deeds, look for them doing these things. And when you see them doing these deeds and these things, you're observing this, we teach them how to observe and look for these and then say, these are the things, not broad innocuous swaths of information that you don't know what to do with. This is ultimately granular. And then we say, when I see those deeds, should I now pull them in closer? Because givers bring with them the three W's of wisdom, wealth, and wellness. Or when I see them doing these deeds, should I begin respectfully distancing myself, not rude or nasty or insensitive, respectfully begin to distance myself from them because takers bring with them the three D's of takers, which is defeatism, disruption, and destruction. And when I bring them in my life, they're bringing that with them. And I'm going to be stamping out fires, not of my making, because I didn't know how to discern in advance and what to watch for, whether I should bring them into my life or not. So that's what we teach. We teach genuinely discernment and giving to be great. I think it was Jim Rohn, and I may be wrong. This I love Jim. I love it. Jim. Might have, it may be Jim Rohn, or maybe Napoleon Hill, probably probably just recycled. But he said, "You're the average of five people that you spend the majority of your time with." So what what you're saying is fantastic. So let's just go back to that mentor, if I may, for a second. So yes. not everybody has access at 19 years old to to come in contact with the type of people that have inspired you and lifted you up. In the case of yourself, you had your own mentor. I myself. Uh, have actually had this conversation with Lisa probably 25 different times. How would I, as a relatively successful human at this point in my life, find someone to become my mentor if that was something I was looking for? And what do you even look for? Great question. Uh, part A and B. Uh, the, uh, I can share with you what happened in my life because that's the best thing to do is give you a you know, testament of what happened with me. After I met June Martino, who had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. And she shared with me word for word. The, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Founder with Michael Keaton, and he plays uh, Ray Kroc. Mm -hmm. um, well, she actually told me that story decades before the movie came out because she had the third. She, In fact, in the movie, she's the one that Michael Keaton's talking to outside the office, Ray Kroc, uh, June Martino. Oh, yeah. That's her. Uh, that's the lady. And, uh, I actually at 16 years old, I was a janitor and I cleaned her house, her house every single Wednesday because <laughs> the janitorial service I worked at had the, the contract to clean her house. And so I met her and I'm thinking, man, he's, you know, she's so wealthy, millions and millions of dollars here. I, everyone in the area knew who June Martino was. I'm from Chicago and that's where the world headquarters of McDonald's was. And then, you know, I cleaning out her garage, which was, it had a Rolls Royce in it. I had loved cleaning out the garage. And at night I went home and drove my Rolls Canardly, you know, rolls down one hill and can hardly make it up the next. And uh, so I, I'm thinking, you know, man, people really live like this. And she was a nice lady. And she told me the whole story of McDonald's, by the way, the movie, thousand percent Hollywood spin. Ray wasn't that way. That's not the way it really That's happened. That's not true. If it's in the movies, it's real. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. Yeah. So uh, Ray wasn't even that way. And, and I lived in McDonald's experience during my lifetime. I was there. I lived in the Oak Brook area, you know, where the world headquarters was. So I knew all, I was there. I was there. So uh, here's the part that gets to where do you and how do you find that mentor? The first step is what I'm going to say right now. When I met June and she told me that she made an agreement to work for Ray Kroc for no money, there was no money left. They even they do say that in the movie where she goes to Ray and says there's no money left. And he calls the brothers and they have an argument on the phone. He needs more percentage and royalties. Right? Uh, that event did happen, just not that way. But she told me about that event. So I asked her, June, why'd you work for nothing? And she answered back in a way with a tone that made my hair stand up on the back of my neck. She said, because I believed in Ray. And that was my first thought was, that's it. I need to find a Ray Kroc. I don't even know that. I don't even know what I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know the questions I should be asking. And here's the next thing I did that inadvertently I stumbled upon the right thing. I didn't plan it. I just did it by mistake. 
And that was, I asked the right question and I threw it out there. I just said, where's my Ray Kroc? Where would I meet my Ray Kroc? Now, as my, then it wasn't three months later, I actually met him. And, and, I, and I said no six times to and during the meeting of meeting with him. <laughs> not realize, over and over again, I said, no, no, no. Not realizing what was really happening at that very moment that this was my Ray Kroc and I didn't, I didn't recognize it. So the first part is believing that your mentor that was meant for you exists and is out there right now. That's the first part. The second part is asking the right questions. As my business mentor threw at me over and over again, he said, people always want the answers. He said, they live backwards. He said, everyone wants to know, what's the answer to this? One say, wrong. He said, wrong, wrong, wrong. He said, the answers are omnipresent. They're always around us and they're always there. He said, we need to focus more on asking the right questions. When you ask the right question to the wrong person, you'll get the wrong answer. When you ask the wrong question to the right person, you'll get the wrong answer. Ask the right question. Now, inadvertently, I just threw it out there into the world. Where's my Ray Kroc? Now, notice I didn't inadvertently say, I'm never going to be a Ray Kroc. I'm not going to make it. She was lucky. See, yeah. I immediately assumed he was out there, or he or she, whoever it was. I knew they were out there somewhere. And I was wondering, okay, how am I going to meet them? How would I meet them? And that, that question itself began to open up that door in ways I didn't even recognize at that point. All I knew was I'm cleaning this million dollar house owned by June Martino and that she was under Ray Kroc's wing and I need to find me a Ray Kroc. That's all I knew. I didn't know anything else. So asking the right questions and believing the answer is there is a huge, most important part. My business mentor said, the easiest thing you'll ever do in your life is earn a million dollars. And he was right. It's an interesting, it's an interesting position you're holding. And, and it's, again, don't be offended by this. It's not an original thought. You know, I think um, the Western world first got exposed to this idea of belief uh, when Napoleon Hill wrote his book, and then it's just sort of been perpetuated since then. And I, I personally believe in that. And, and it sounds to me from the stories, and I know you're not telling us the other side of things, but you've had some fortuitous synchronicities in your life. Do you feel that these synchronicities are accidental by appointment or by purposeful manifestation? Uh, first, I would say that uh, way before Napoleon Hill, uh, you know, it, many of these things, even as it relates to belief, are even biblical in nature. So we, we, I, I can go back and make an argument for thousands of years ago, this information. I can also say that I never made up anything. I never made up any of this stuff. All I'm doing is repackaging and bringing it in a new way, things that and skills that maybe aren't being taught. So I, I heartily agree with you, Devo. Napoleon Hill certainly, you know, and again, I was from Chicagoland area, so, and that's where Napoleon Hill was from. So I remember full page ads of his seminars when I was a kid in the Chicago Tribune. You know, then the, I didn't know who's this guy, right? But uh, so you're correct and accurate, but I could even take, we could take it back way earlier than that. So it's a repackaging of those things that are so important. Because ecclesiastically, there's nothing new under the sun. There never has been. There never will be. It's a repackaging of something that has always existed, right? So, so as a part, as it relates then to your question, to your point, I think it's critical that we recognize that yes, we have to believe it can happen to us. Yes, we need to be open for it, and none of that's new. But then we also need to recognize that and start to begin to live our life as though that has already happened. We've already met those that person. And to start to be open, you know, well, I met that person because many times we'll meet that mentor because we made, they were introduced to us by someone else. You know, mine was over a phone call where my business, my janitor boss made me go meet him. And I said, no, <laughs> he made me, he made a deal with me that I agreed to. And then I went and met this guy who became my mentor. <clears throat> so, you know, the small little instances in life are sometimes where the trickery lies, you know, of. You know, did we, ma did I manifest it in my life? I can say by asking the right question, I pulled myself towards it and it became closer to me. Um, so I would say, yes, from a manifestation point, I'm a firm believer in that because I can, in my 45 years in business, plus I can share with you that I believe through many successes and failures, temporary defeats. I had to rewire that real quick there. I was going to correct I, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, temporary defeats that 
our lives become self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm -hmm. And we have a God-given right that, I, that is called the freedom of choice. We have the ability to choose our own thoughts. And people don't realize how important those thoughts really are. Something that we do, and here's a statistic for you. 18,250,000 times per year. 18,250,000 times per year is the best estimate so far on the average person's number of conversations they have with their self in their own mind every year. You can't tell me that those 18 million conversations don't have impact on our life. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to go back to my question. I wasn't implying that you were uh, that you were making things up, or that Napoleon Hill was the originator of this. I, I firmly believe that. In fact, I'm actually reading the books of Enoch right now that, oh, okay. pre that precede the Bible, and they talk very much about this whole idea of of manifestation and consciousness and how basically we're able to control our destinies to a large extent of our lives. So I, I firmly, firmly believe in that. But let, can I go back to the, the mentorship? And I'm sorry. Yeah, Lisa, yeah. Did you, you wanted to Please add do. Lisa, did you have anything you no, wanted to Go add? ahead. Go ahead. I can wait. Going back to this mentor piece. So we've sort of, we originally talked at the outset of the call that we wanted to center this around the quality of people that you surround yourself with. And everything that I've heard you say has been based upon the impact that other people who inspired you, who helped educate you, who, who were involved in your life at an early stage sort of molded the, the eventual man that you've become 46 years later. How important is it to surround yourself and going back to Roan's quote, those five people, those six people that you surround yourself in your estimate, are, how important is it to you that the people you surround yourself are critical to your development? And can, uh, I, can I, I just add one thing onto that then? Yeah. I don't want to be negative Nancy and take it down another road, but when we're talking about surrounding ourselves with those people, what happens when we need to call, like how do we call people out of our lives in Great. a kind, friendly way when we're, when they are having a negative effect on our life? So add Great that question. To that. Um, I say after our own thought process and our own action and deeds, I would place, uh, you know, the people we surround ourselves with, with the top three things we should do in our life. Um, so from a critical standpoint, Devo, I say number three minimum, because the first thing should be our own thoughts. Number two should be our own deeds. Uh, and then number three is those people that surround ourselves, because I would ask your listeners, <clears throat> excuse me, think about the fires you stomp out every day. Think about when your stress level escalates every day. Think about the conversations you have where at the end of the conversation, you didn't even remember what the conversation was about, but you do know one thing, you have no more energy left. They just drained it all from you. All three of those things have one thing in common. There's a name attached to them. So what we do is we actually teach the skill set of discernment. Look for these things, specific actual deeds. Like right now, Devo, if you had itchy eyes and a runny nose, by observing the symptoms, I could probably assess you may have a cold. I'm not able to see the cold. It causes the symptoms. But by virtue of the symptoms, I can make that assessment and I can discern that. So we teach people supplanting symptoms for actual deeds. Even with checklists, we have one that uh, we want to give your listeners. It's a freebie. We want them to have it. Download it. Put it in your pocket. It's a two-page checklist of what we call the 25 do's. These are the actual things people do that will help you observe and discern. Look for them doing these things. And from that, that will help you be able to decide who do you want to bring in closer because they're going to impact your life with wisdom, wealth, and wellness. Or who do you want to respectfully distance yourself to the calling question? It's a critical thing, right? Because so uh, most of the people, in fact, almost all the people that we meet and that I meet have said, man, I would love to learn this, you know, three decades earlier, two decades earlier about how to discern, you know, who I should and shouldn't have in my life. So I, I would have thought twice about bringing them in close if I knew to even look for these things. I didn't know. Right? And that's why it's not being taught. Is it new? Devo knows not be, it's not new, but it's not being taught, right? So it's coming back, repackaged again, just the way everything else is, right? And we're repackaging that. So how do you call that? How do you do that? How do you do that, Lisa, when someone listening right now to this podcast is saying, wow, this is great stuff. And, you know, I got someone in my family that's being a little takerish right now. <laughs> you know, uh, they need to hear this and I need to have this conversation with them or someone does, but I, I love them. 
I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I care about them, but this needs to be discussed. It's gotten way out of hand, right? I'll guarantee you some of your listeners are probably thinking that thought. Well, the one of the very first things they could do is share your podcast with them. And here's why. All they have to do oh, is- Oh, I love that. And leave a review. Yeah, I will. I will. And it's, it's very good. We will do that. And so here's the PayPal account for that $20. No, I was just kidding. I, I, did I say that out loud? I didn't, okay. So, so here's what happens. When they watch this podcast that you're doing right now, what happens is you can say, you know, I heard this really thought-provoking podcast. It was very interesting. Do me a favor. Listen to it and give me your opinion on it. You never know it may open their minds and you're going to be stopping out one less fire. Also, everything we teach, you can present it to them as a third party mechanism because there's a self-assessment part built in. In other words, when someone looks through those 25 dues, they have to go, oh boy, I can see I'm on that one right there. Oh, I can see I'm on that one right there. And so what happens is through the self-assessment part that's built in, they begin to become a little less takerish and more giverish. Is someone a taker forever? Only by choice. We can we actually teach them to do something that's called a data reset, D-A-T-A, -A, declare and turn around. We teach them what to do so that they can and also provide the skill set here. If you want to have a givers, because givers do genuinely earn three times more than takers. Sometimes not short term, but long term, 100%, 100%. I like how you deflected that personal responsibility away from Lisa from removing someone in her life by giving the other person the autonomy to remove themselves. <laughs> Lisa, should I be concerned <laughs> you're trying to find a new business partner and podcast host? No, no. I'm just, you know, I don't want to have to just ghost people. I want them to know, like, passive aggressively why I'm ghosting them. No. <laughs> yeah. And who'd want to be ghosting this close to Halloween anyway? Seriously. True. You know, I, I... <laughs> So I've enjoyed this conversation where unfortunately we're running out of our time. Yes, sir. I, there's, a, there's a couple of things that I wanted to just touch on and it centers sure. around Lisa and I have been very focused over the last few years, especially the last year and a half of one of the things is, is as entrepreneurs, you sort of become this solopreneur sitting in a silo. You may not have the budget or the means to hire a staff of people to support you. So you end up becoming a Swiss army knife. And what happens with that is your business grows, you sort of end up running yourself into the ground and you impede your own progress that you're trying to impart in the first place, right? So one of the things that we've really been doing over the last 18 months is trying to hire and surround and build a team of people who are really good at what they do that, so that all of us can stay in their own lane. As someone who has chosen to surround themselves with successful people, forward-moving people, positive-minded people, people who are focused on producing results, do you feel, and this is sort of a hot seat question, do you feel when you're hiring people for your business, you're, a, you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner, that you should hire really quality, high-quality people, or should you hire just average people who are relatively good at what they do and taking orders so that you can grow your business. And this is a question Lisa and I come up against every single day. Uh, my answer is neither. Uh, and the reason I say neither is because, uh, first of all, a quality person, the, ter the term quality is very subjective. Uh, you know, identify quality. What is that? What is a quality person, right? So now all of a sudden we're in the subjective world. Uh, and, and then, you know, as far as I would certainly look at people who have done and can prove to you that, you know, they, 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 they have done already the task that you want done as opposed to them learning on your nickel, which is what time, you know, what happens. Um, and then I, I can share with you, and, and, and I don't mean to make this a commercial point, and, uh, and that is through my temporary defeats, and I had three major ones, I mean, major, major, right? Uh, and, and, and had successes that were greater, you know, as a result of that, that caused me to write these three books called, you know, within the Good to Be Great series. As a result of these things, I also had the, the reason I wrote these books was simple. I don't want my butt in that place again. So I said, you know, I got to figure out, even though I'm being taught by my mentor, I've got to make, I'm missing things here. There, there's a lot to remember. So we put together these checklists and started training people on these are the deeds. So if I was hiring someone, 
you know, through freelancing or to do outside work and the farm out thing so I could stay focused on my business and the things I'm good at that Devo and Lisa obviously should do, focus on those things that you are best at, right? Your strengths, if you will, and let other people do. I would use this checklist and say, okay, I would ask them in the interview, I would rework these 25 deeds and find out what their answers are to each one of them. Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? And, and from that then, that would help me begin to realize what is their mindset? Are they giver's mindset or are they taker mindset? Uh, you know, as far as that. And by, and by the way, when we say giver, we don't label people's givers. We're labeling deeds, giver deeds. When we say taker, I'm not labeling a person. I label the deeds of that person as taker deeds. And there's give a distinct an, difference. Give us an example. Of, 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 of a couple of the items? No, just give us an example when you're not labeling people as a giver or a taker. Give me an example of what that deed actually looks like. Give me a scenario or an example of that. Okay. One of the freebies we want to give your listeners, the first one that they get right away after subscribing to our absolutely free newsletter, commercial moment, right. was uh, how the six arrows that takers shoot at givers. All right. So six and a half, the six arrows. One of the arrows are takers will switch. And you will see them do this. They will switch from a fact-based moral high ground conversation into, they will switch gears into personal attack mode. In other words, you will see them through the course of a conversation when they can no longer hold their ground based on unemotional, factual, and puritanical information in the conversation. Then they'll, you'll see the comments come out. We teach the comments. You're going to hear them say, you don't know what you're talking about, all right? First of all, there's the attack, right? You, you don't know what you're talking about. The moment that they switched gear from the fact base to all of a sudden now it's a personal attack, you don't know the information. You don't know all the background. When you start hearing those, that's the taker arrow being shot at you. It's a personal attack because they had to switch off of the fact-based information. A giver will stay fact-based and say, you know, I don't know. You could be right. Taker won't. They're not going to do that. They will shoot the arrow. So that's one of the six arrows as an example. Um, and then uh, a couple of days later, they're going to get the 25 do's. One of my favorite checklists. It's two pages. Download it. Put it in your pocket. Use it for discerning relationships. Um, a couple of those just to, to sort of give you a, you know, a, sort of a, a quickie, if you will, of the 25 do's. You will see that the we, we have one of the sayings we have is a giver will do the thing to get the thing. A taker will not. The full saying is, do the thing to get the thing. Do not the thing, get something else. Hmm. So we teach people how to discern, is that the kind of person that shortcuts? Is that the kind of person that's not willing to do the thing or gloms onto other people's efforts or results because they themselves are not willing to do the thing to get the thing? Whereas a giver will be the first one to step forward. They'll be the first one to step up front and say, yeah, I want to do that. Mm. It sounds a bit like the golden rule, a reframe of the golden rule. All of this is a reframing of something somewhere. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the Givers University for a second as we close out. So this is uh, this has been a good conversation. Lisa, do you have any additional closing thoughts? Before no, you no. You've, you've left us with a lot to think about and a lot of positive things to work towards. I love it. Thank you. EA, if you could send us that email, I'd love to check it out. And then when we launch the podcast, we'll do it as a download for people who'd like to listen to the podcast. So um, this Givers University, if you'd like to get, get some more information on it, it's givers, plural, university.com. You founded this in 1991. It's a place for like-minded givers to connect with each other. And I love that piece around connecting each other with other people. Um, it's We believe the world operates in that whole connection idea, connect, collaborate, create. And so I'd like to learn more about the university. I'm going to check out your newsletter. This conversation has been, it, it's taken a different turn than we had originally planned, but much more enjoyable. So thank you for being open-minded about it. You're welcome. And uh, I did basically a hundred interviews on podcasts between April and now over a hundred. And I'm getting ready to do a second round of information. I think you're going to love as we discern the difference of giver communities and taker communities because the word community is thrown all over the place today. And so many of these communities are nothing more than customer lists and 
prospect list. Join our community, but actually it's just a way of making money off of you, not with you. And we're going to do a whole new podcast on discerning the difference. I'm quite excited about it. Giver communities and taker communities, how to discern the difference when you get involved with these. And they go to Givers University, sign up for our newsletters, absolutely free. We don't pet the, pelt their email. I hate that. When I sign up for something else, I'm getting eight emails a day from them, you know, unsubscribe, 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 right? So they're going to get a quick reference. Do you want to hear from these people? Because we're not spammers. Say yes. Then you'll immediately get the six arrows that Take or Shoot Givers is a download. A couple of days later, you'll get the 25 dues checklist. These are all free. Download them. Use them now in your life. Learn the skill. And then every Thursday, once a week, they get a newsletter called The Giver's Toolbox. Every week, short and sweet, we give them a new tool that they, on their relationships and giver discernment that they can add into their relationship toolbox once a week on Thursday. It's absolutely free. Giversuniversity.com. Go there. Sign for the newsletter. We want, we're nurturers. We're givers. We walk our talk. So I'd love to have people participate and get the benefit and the skill. That's pretty interesting. That last point you just made about giver and taker communities, because I was asked to be part of a community recently in the last few months. And, but I didn't really know where it fit within my paradigm of everything I have going on. So I asked the person who was in charge of it, you know, give me some feedback on where you see my role and, and whatnot. And anyway, it turns out that his wife is a fortune teller. I don't know the correct terminology, what's politically correct to call them anymore. And, and he wanted to know if I would be open to having a session with her so they could better discern my role. Oh, great. And oh, I was like, my. sure, let me yeah. check it out. That's oh, a smooth man. operator right there. Yeah. So like two days later, I get this email from his partner, how excited she is to connect with me. Can't wait to figure out my role in this new community. And then click here to sign up for a, a session. And it was like $400 to have this reading with her just so that I could figure out my role in her community. And I thought, I love false friends. <laughs> Takes like, me back to high school. <laughs> no. can, can I give you the quick distinction between a giver and taker community in one sentence? I know you're going to do it anyway. So yes. <laughs> He knows, me, he knows me well already. The A giver community is a community that you make money with people. Yeah. A taker community is when you make money off from people. Absolutely. And a taker community is the old West wagons. They circle the wagons, but in a taker community, they shoot inward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's also, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to have a lot of fun that podcast because I'm kind of calling a lot of people out that it's not a community. Call it what it is. It's a customer hit list and a prospect list. It's not a community mm -hmm. community. You build each other up and you all become more prosperous and not off of each other. Mm, that's the way it should all be. I, I love you dropping knowledge like this. Appreciate you sharing all of that. You're welcome. Yeah, Thank you for having me on your great show. You both are awesome. Lisa, love the voice, love the radio voice. And D Devo, thank you for your pointed questions and uh, bringing me back to the point if I haven't clarified it. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for your time. EA. Have a great day.